Rosemary Clooney, Doris Day, Nick Lachey, Steven Spielberg, Marka Piler, Sarah Jessica Parker. This is just a short list of names of famous actors, actresses, and notable figures who got their start here in Cincinnati. But before them, there was the actress Peg and Twistle, the girl who leapt off the Hollywood sign. Hello and welcome everyone to a brand new episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I'm your host, Kat Logo, and tonight with me is Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. As always, they're in the shadows right now, but you will soon hear from them. Just a little bit of housekeeping, our social media. You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter. That's C-I-N-K-A-B-I-N-E-D Curio. Because I'm not spelling it all out on Twitter at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities. Cincy is spelled C I N C Y, Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And you can email us at hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. We are an official podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities and all those other wonderful places. Please rate and review us there so other spooky lovers just like you can find us. It helps boost us up in the rankings and then other people can go, hey, that sounds interesting and listen to us. And that'd be great. Uh, We do actually have a a listener review to read on air for you, Christina and Jen. And this is from JT and he writes, I enjoy the show and I'm liking the episodes that I've heard so far. Keep up the great work. Thank you, JT, for the wonderful review. Now on to tonight's show. I want to give everyone who's listening a trigger warning for tonight's show and that it is not for young listening ears, since it discusses suicide. We are sharing the tragic story of actress Peg Entwistle, who ended her life at the Hollywood sign and is buried here in Cincinnati. Before we really start, I want to note that the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255, and if you or someone you love is in crisis, please give them a call. Also, sources for tonight's show are Vanity Fair, the Queens of the Queen City, Find a Grave, Country Living, Peg and Twistle, and the Hollywood Sign Suicide by James Zurich Jr., and the You Must Remember This podcast, specifically episode 93, Dead Blondes episode part one. And with that, Jen and Christina, come join me as we listen about the life and times of Peg and Twistle. Hello. Hi. Have you heard about this? Before we dig in, have you heard about Peg? Yes, I did not know her name, but I was familiar with someone jumping off the Hollywood sign. And is not it, she's not that. the only one, is she? No, she is not the only one, but she is by far the most notable. And the thing that amazed me, I had heard about the woman who had jumped off the Hollywood sign when I was visiting Los Angeles. Oh, geez. Two decades ago. Oh, my, that old now. Um, and somebody mentioned that she had jumped. I did not know that she has such deep roots here in Cincinnati. Oh, so one thing I wanted to mention when you listen, uh, listed notable Cincinnatians, Emilio Estevez described Cincinnati as the Paris of the Midwest. Oh, <laughs> that's very sweet he, of he him. He loves it here. Yeah, he has a, where's his house? Yeah. I, I mean, we don't want to point people. I mean, apparently he lives in Cincinnati somewhere. Oh, uh, really? But he, he, I don't think he lives here full time, but yes. No, no, he no, he has a, a house here. He has a place yeah. here Yeah, and, and loves it. Um, and and I saw him I didn't get to meet him but I saw him I was having dinner at Metropole and as I was leaving he was at his table and I looked at him and he winked at me and I I just I just kept on walking well his father (laughs) I didn't want to interrupt him Martin Sheen is from Dayton Uh and um, actually Rob Lowe is also from Dayton so Ohio (laughs) is a we got so many people that are from here and like I couldn't I could not fit the amount of people from every discipline of quote unquote yeah. fame that you can have. The one that surprised me was Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. I did yeah, not realize I he was from that. Cincinnati. I, I had not heard of this story until you brought it up. And maybe it's because I don't watch a lot of true crime stuff. So, I mean, you all have educated me in the true crime genre because um, 
if something doesn't really have a dragon in it, I probably am mm-hmm. not going to watch it that much. <laughs> I mean, or has something, you know, I mean, we all have the our genres we gravitate to. You yeah. Know? So I, I tend to watch stuff that's or like ancient history or, you know, that sort of thing. I don't watch as much true crime stuff, but this is, looks like such an interesting and really sad story. It's a very sad story. Um, so I don't remember quite how I came across this story. I, but somebody pointed out to me that she had a lot of connections to Cincinnati. So I Googled her and kept this noted on my phone for at least six months. So she, she has been sitting in my Google history for six months now waiting to do this episode. So let's dig into her history. So her real name is Millicent Lillian and Twistle, born in Wales in 1908. Her nickname with her family was Babs, not Peg. Hmm. Her mother and father divorced when she was two years old. She was reported in interviews to have said that her mother had died. However, evidence of the divorce was written by her father, Robert Sims and Twistle, in his last will and testament. And he wrote, Millicent Lillian and Twistle is the daughter of my first wife, whom I divorced in custody of my of my said daughter was awarded to me. I do not desire my said daughter to be at any time in the custody or control of her said mother. What is interesting, though, is that Babs did keep in contact with her maternal family, just not her mother, who was also an actress in Wales. Babs watched her father and uncle Charles perform Julius Caesar before King George V at his coronation, and she became really interested in acting from that. Uh, Her uncle then immigrated to the United States before she and her father did and became a Broadway actor and manager. He co-starred on Broadway with Jane Ross in a run of Hobson's Choice. Jane was from Elmwood Place here in Cincinnati. It's a neighborhood. The two married in June of 1912 and moved to Santa Monica, California, afterwards. In 1913, Charles and Jane visited Robert and Babs in Wales, and Babs really took a liking to Jane. So, because they all had a grand time together, uh, Robert and Babs immigrated to New York City when Charles and Jane returned back to the United States. And then they were, then Jane introduced Robert to her sister, Loretta, and the family traveled back and forth between New York and Cincinnati since the Ross family lived in Cincinnati. There are records of Robert being in ca- there are records of uh, Robert being cast in plays in 1913, according to the Internet Broadway database. While summering in Michigan in 1914, Robert married Loretta, Laura, not Loretta, yeah, Loretta. Also in 1914, Bab saw a stage production of Peg of My Heart and was so taken with the performance that she insisted everyone now call her Peg. So that's where Peg comes in her name. It's from a, a play, a stage play. In 1920, now Peg's first stage performance was for a school production of Peter Pan. The family returned to visit Cincinnati after her stepmother, Loretta Ross, died. In 1921, the, her stepmother, Loretta Ross Entwistle died of bacterial meningitis in April 1921. The family took her back to be buried in the Ross family plot in Glendale, which is another Cincinnati neighborhood. Peg had two stepbrothers by this time, four-year-old Milton, who was born in 1917, and two-year-old Bobby, who was born in 1919, which she took care of. Robert was then injured in a hit and run accident in early 1922 at the intersection of Park Avenue and 72nd Street in New York City. It looked like he was recovering well, but he died of a hemorrhage from the complications of the accident in December of that year. Peg and her two half-brothers were then taken in by Charles and Jane, who now lived in Cincinnati, and who was the manager of Broadway actor Walter Hamden at the time. Charles and Jane then gave up their acting careers to care for Peg, Milton, and Bobby. A month later, in January of 1923, Milton was diagnosed with having masiodesis, and the warmer climate was recommended for him. So the entire Entwistle Ross family uprooted and moved to in with Jane's two sisters, Helen and Marguerite, into their house. Ha- 
into their house in Los Angeles, just below the Hollywood sign. That had to be one full house. At age 16, Peg started at the Hollywood Theater Community School, where she quickly fell into acting and was considered brilliant and was excellent at mimicking and dictation. Something that I don't think I'm good at either one of these things. <laughs> With some help from Charles' network of friends, Peg moved to New York City in 1925 to pursue acting on Broadway and was accepted into the New York Theater Guild. She gained notoriety for her knowledge of stage and play history and was re recruited as an up-and-coming talent at Boston's new repertory theater company. She then moved to Boston. And this is where her career really took a high trajectory. She was very popular. Uh, her different plays that she was in all were successful. And her name was getting out there as a be being a really good up-and-coming stage performer. October 10th, 1925 was Peg's debut on the national stage with the Repertory Theater's production of Hamlet with then global superstar Ethel Barrymore. Known as the First Lady of American Theater, she is also Drew Barrymore's great aunt. She later caught the attention of uh, as a young huh, she also later caught the attention of a young aspiring Bette Davis, Betty Davis, while playing Hedvig in The Wild Duck in 1926 while in Boston. And uh, Betty Davis constantly credited Antwistle for her interest in acting, which I think helped keep the legend of Peg Antwistle alive because she just, every time asked, she would bring her up and saying that was such a stellar performance. She loved it so much. Between the years of 1926 through 1929, Peg's um, did struggle with the spotlight and especially with the acting guilds. And this is where we're starting to see rough waters for her. It started out great. She was uh, doing really well in her performances. She was really popular in her pro uh, production reviews. And then she met and quickly fell in love with then married Robert Lee Keith, who was a, a fellow actor. Uh, she performed in productions in both New York and Cincinnati and all across the Midwest and East Coast. And uh, this is where really the uh, podcast, They Will Remember You, really went deep into her acting career because and talked about all the different performances she did. But basically, Robert Lee Keith did not tell her that he had been previously married and had lied on their marriage certificate and said that he had been single. And it wasn't until a few weeks later when she had come back from her honeymoon and is sitting in the um, parlor of her new mother-in-law's house and she sees this cute little boy, just his, his picture on a mantle. And she's like, who is that kid? And her mother-in-law goes, oh, that's your stepson. And she's like, my what now? And did not know about her stepson, Bobby, and his previous relationships. And then also Robert Lee Keith had a drinking problem and was fairly abusive towards her. It just spiraled out from there. He started asking for her to pay back his alimony because he was greatly in debt to his first wife. And uh, there was a warrant out for his arrest. And eventually they couldn't pay for to keep him out of prison. So he went in prison for a while and she had to beg for a loan from the New York uh, Actors Guild. And it started making some bad blood between her and a lot of the professional acting circles that they had been in. Eventually in 1929, she does uh, gain a divorce from Keith, which she is relieved by, but, um, that's where her troubles really started back in the late 20s. And also she's trying to be an actress making a go of it at the heels of the Great Depression. So just when it's starting. I don't think heels of the Great Depression is starting. That's ending. So at the beginning of the Great Depression, there we go. Um, but she does notably do a few rounds of acting, um, a very well-received production of Sherlock Holmes where she played the love interest of Sherlock Holmes and it is she did perform this at the Erlanger Opera House 
in Cincinnati. It's, it was on Main Street. She also did a few performances at the Cincinnati Music Hall for different productions. So she would come through Cincinnati quite frequently and then visit family and, and all that. So, oh, let's see. Oh, and at, at the same time, while she's doing all these stage plays, Hollywood is knocking on her door, but she liked being on the stage. So she kind of ignored these opportunities up until 1931, when she moved to Los Angeles to pursue this acting on screen and then discovered that a lot of these opportunities that had been extended to her had either been dried up or they just really weren't as interested in her as she thought they would be. So um, let's see. It was more difficult, she discovered, to get roles, especially when you're doing dry readings at um, just trying to get ca at casting calls and everything. And uh, she did eventually get shortlisted for a number of different projects, one of which she managed to catch the eye of RKO Pictures, which then recruited her. Now, for those of you who don't know, RKO Pictures used to be one of the big five studios in Hollywood. And they had the likes of Catherine Hepburn, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, Gary Grant, Roger Mitchum. And they also produced Citizen Kane and King Kong, which are two landmark movies. And they co-produced It's a Wonderful Life, that if you're around anywhere at Christmas, they're going to play it ad nauseum. Going back to RKO, they also were the distributors of D Walt Disney's early cartoons to cinemas. So they I were quite think about landmark. Their records. Like you used to see, right, this shows how old I am. I remember seeing lots of vinyl that said RKO on it. Yeah. Well, they were <laughs> a radio show, like a radio mm. producer, and then moved to film. So they were very prevalent in the early 19th century was in big. influencing everything. Yes. And they were part of the studio system, which Peg got entangled with, which she hadn't been a part of. She was had been a part of the Broadway stage system beforehand. And that's what her parents knew. That's what her aunt and uncle knew. And then the studio system in Hollywood, it was a completely different beast all into itself. And she got swallowed up in it, basically. So Peg's biggest role was in the film adaptation of 13 Women. Test audiences, however, did not like the controversial storyline that Peg's character played, and the majority of her scenes were left on the cutting room floor. She was, this movie came out right as the Hayes Code was really being implemented. So before then, you got more risque movies, but the Hayes Code came through and censored so much. And the director thought he could get away with a lot of it if he still filmed it and then showed it to them and went, oh, well, it's already here, so we'll just leave it in. The Hayes Code went, uh-uh, and they cut a lot of it out. And her character is rather controversial. I believe it's, her name is Hazel, the character's name in the movie. And um, it's controversial because she has a lesbian romance with another character. And Ooh. the Hayes Code went, uh-uh, we're not going to do this. And they just cut it out. Wow. So that had to be just stunning, a stunning blow to her with she had this major movie thing. She had been signed. It was on a one movie deal with a RKO. As soon as they were done editing the new edit, um, and this was now September of 1932, early September, the edits are done. And then they release her from her contract. So where she thought she was going to be the next Catherine Hepburn, who's who she aspired to be, suddenly no, that's not looking like it's going to be in the cards. At the same time, to be able to do the movie, she had cut a contract with her theater troupe. So she had burned a bridge there to be able to go do this movie that ended up falling through. This is not looking great for her work-wise. For, uh, Peg was forced to move out of her LA apartment back in with her aunt and uncle and uh, their family, which actually forced somebody who was staying with her family out of the house so that she can move back in. And she felt really bad about that. I believe they had to sell a lot of her own possessions to be able to make back rent. So she's moving back in with the family after being a, a star of the stage and she is rather in debt. And then she sees that her ex-husband has now married a fellow actress and their careers are doing well. 
because her husband became a very notable character actor in the 1950s. So that that just stung a lot. I need to find a picture of him. Would we yeah, he kind of looks like Vincent Price, but not as cool looking. Why is it the jerks always get the breaks? That makes me so mad. Because <laughs> they know how to play the system. They learn it really early. And that's what and makes they have them no the jerks scruples. because they're more. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. They're very cutthroat. So Wednesday, September 14th is when she is told that she's cut from uh, RKO. On Friday, September 16th, 1932, Peg says goodbye to Charles Jane Milton and Bobby, saying that she's going to go purchase a book at the local drugstore and then meet up with friends. In reality, what she did was she hiked up to the Hollywood H on Mount Lee and then neatly folded her jacket and left her purse at the bottom of the sign. She then climbed up a 50-foot maintenance ladder, got to the top, looked down, and then jumped to her death. On Sunday, September 18th, her belongings were discovered by a jogger or a hiker going through Mount Lee, who found a shoe, a purse, and a jacket. The jogger then opened the purse to find her suicide note, which led and which read as published, I am afraid, I am a coward, I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. And then inscribed PE. The hiker alerted authorities and some say that they turned it in and then some say they just left like other reports claim that it just was left at the precinct so that they basically had to figure out why this random amount of belongings were left at the police station. Once they figured out what happened, it took them an hour of searching and they found her body, which was down the ravine on Mount Lee. The cause of death was listed by the coroner as multiple fractures of the pelvis. She did not die instantly. She had multiple fractures across her entire body and most likely bled to death. Maybe internally. I don't know. Uh, that weekend in L.A., there had been 13 suicides, and that fact alone made the newspapers run information about the different suicide victims that had been discovered. Jane suspected that Babs had been one of them while reading it in the paper and, look, and looking at the suicide note and later the body, Charles, oh, sorry, Charles identified Peg. Peg Entwistle was only 24 years old when she took her own life. Her death brought on the publicity that she had chased in life. On September 20th, 1932, her funeral was at W.M. Strather's Mortuary in Hollywood. She was then cremated and interred in Glendale, Ohio at Oak Hill Cemetery next to her father on January 5th, 1933. She's buried in the Ross family plot, which is why when you go visit her headstone, there's a large Ross family headstone right next to it. It's because her mother or her stepmother was a Ross. Uh, the Cincinnati Enquirer wrote some pretty terrible tabloid level articles about Peg and Twistle and her death along other with other newspapers. Uh, most notably taking out a full page, half of it splashed with her body on it from November 6, 1932 edition of the paper. And it's not her dead body. It's a, um, it's a still from the movie that she was in. So that is the life of Peg and Twizzle. There are, of course, hauntings to go through as well. But I know, Jen, before we get into the hauntings, you had some thoughts on how, um, <laughs> the media portrayed her well you know one of the things i did when i sat back in the library at the Enquirer was search a suicide folder we have a folder of photos of suicides and they show pretty much start mid finish you know because they used to cover those things and eventually the media wisened up and said we're going to stop pub publishing this stuff because it is giving people ideas. And, but back then they didn't do that and they sensationalized it. And they just, the fact that they put, I'm a coward as the headline at the, mm, 
that just makes me angry. I mean, I know you got to cover things and you have to report on things, but you don't have to be an asshole. She was still a human being. You don't know what was going through her mind, why she did what she did. You know, it made perfect sense to her in, in that moment, you know, and it just, and then everybody across the country, of course, picked up that, that headline and that photo. And it just, it just, it just rubs me the wrong way because she deserved more than that. Oh, she you know, certainly people, did. People are more than their deaths. You know, even if, you know, you do something terrible, like cause a car accident and you kill yourself and someone else, terrible mistake doesn't mean you were a terrible person. And it doesn't mean that you don't deserve the dignity to die the way you choose to, or Mm -hmm. just to die and, and be respected as a person, you know? Yeah. And the interesting thing was the media really took it as this starlet who failed at her first movie and then just killed herself and And that is so that's not what happened at all no she was a really popular stage actress her thing successful stage she was out of her element on Mm -hmm. doing tv it's very weird suddenly just going from acting where you're looking at a stage Versus suddenly you're just your only audience is a camera that has absolutely no reaction to anything. Well, and the studio just threw her away. And that wasn't her fault. That was the censorship. They didn't even Mm -hmm. give her a chance. And And that was the studio process back then. Now, a fun little. Still is probably. uh, It's changed a bit, but there's still a lot of similarities. Yeah, Um, it's still terrible. Well, wait. Um. So one of the stories that kind of puts a Hollywood twist really to the end of this is, according to some sources, um, a letter arrived from RKO a few days after her death, inviting, saying that they had found another role for in a different movie for her. And I'm like, isn't that the most Hollywood ending? And I'm like, is this, is this real though? Because if it's the studio system and you read the stories from, oh, um, just (laughs) not Dorothy Hamill. Um, Oh, what is, oh, what, oh goodness. Now I'm starting to like Catherine Hepburn talked about her stuff. Betty Davis talked about it. All Mm -hmm. the, um, um, oh, the girl who played Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. Why am Julie I blanking? Garland. Ju- Judy Garland. Julie Garland. How many drugs they pumped through her system just to get her to wake up on time, go to bed at time, and the amount of alcohol they were all drinking and smoking and everything. They, they, the studio system had complete control over them, but also they controlled a lot of narratives. So I'm right. wondering, I'm just throwing this out there, if RKO put this out there trying to save themselves to make them sound like not the big bad wouldn't wouldn't put it past them but you know what i'm i guarantee that the fact that they cut her film well i can't guarantee it i don't know i can't look back you know but it was probably just the catalyst there were other things going on in her life and so much stress yeah just And, and as somebody who has had equal amounts of stress and you just kind of sit there and you're like, when is it going to end? When is this going to end? Yeah. Why is it one thing after another knocking me down? And, and you I, start feeling really small. Yes, Jen. Girl, preach because these past five, six years is exactly what my life has been. Constant stress. And I hate to say this. A, a lot of it was due to my relationship with my mother. And when she finally passed away, I'm not under as much stress as I used to be, but I am still, it's only been over a year since my mom died, but I am still dealing with the ramifications of that along with stress from other things like work and just in life, just living life in general. And that is why I had to go on Zoloft because I would have jumped off a bridge or something somewhere. So mm-hmm. that I can guarantee it wasn't only her job that pushed her 
it, it, it couldn't have been. And well, especially this- with the state of women back then, how they were treated as commodities and they weren't expected to have a mind or voice their opinions or to be an individual, you know, on their own. They had to be attached mm-hmm. to a man somehow. Well, yeah, being mm-hmm. a divorced woman was a pariah back then. Yeah. I mean, well, not only that, at one point she had an abortion too when she was still yeah. married to Keith. And she did claim Ooh. she didn't want children, which perfectly jit. But yes. there was probably other social factors going on as well as yeah. how that would have been the ramifications of her stage career had she had a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and then to top it off with him getting remarried and then both being successful happy. and happy that, successful yeah, it looked like he was oh. pretty successful he was in guys and dolls so he was in a movie yep. with marlon brando and um frank sinatra i saw that movie it's a good movie actually. but um, i have half a mind to go visit peg and tell her i'm sorry i just but, you, you know, know i mean she probably <laughs> i mean because her marriage failed and you know all that stuff i mean that was deemed as a failure i mean it wasn't even till the 70s that women could even get their own bank accounts or credit mm-hmm, cards right. or anything like that i mean so it was probably very rough for her beyond. thank you ruth bader ginsburg yes yes, yes we thank you that, that she's the one that made it possible for but so her life probably felt almost over at that point you know, yeah seeing, very pressured and i i i get it um yeah um when i was in high school i attempted suicide so it just hearing about all the pressures that she was having i was like i've been there and the only reason why i'm still here is because i didn't take enough of what i was trying to do and i ended up vomiting all over the floor so my body said no and that's the only reason why i'm still here thank Um, god for that cat yeah otherwise uh, i'd never know you yeah the world would be slightly different maybe but um i'm here and uh there are dark times and Mm -hmm. i just sit down and go okay what can i do to get the stress off of me that is not trying to remove myself from the equation because since that has happened once i know that even if stuff is let's be honest shitty you can live through it and keep going and correct it or just say screw it and go make your life somewhere else which is what i did just say fuck you all i'm going somewhere else and just leave just go and uh, um (laughs) saying there aren't any warrants out for your arrest or anything like that but um because those will chase you down um but yeah it's you you can make it through it may take time in my case it took me three years to get through the mire and and but just keep chugging like a little engine that could well (laughs) i'll tell you i'm still still in survival mode like i haven't been able to come out of that yet and i know i know personally i i have said to you guys that i just don't want to do anything like anything Mm -hmm from brushing my teeth to just leaving the house. It's like pulling teeth. Now, once I actually do it, I'm fine. I enjoy myself. It's just getting over that motivation to do it and to get out of bed in the yeah. morning. Yeah. I mean, although it, it, it goes in spurts. Like today I feel better. I got a lot of stuff done around the house, not everything, but a lot of stuff done that I had left sitting for a month. So it's, I just wish poor Peg had someone or the wherewithal mm-hmm. to come out of it. Yeah. Thankfully, she, I did. She was so young. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully, you did. Thankfully, others have as well. Mm-hmm. And um, which leads us to the ghost stories, which is one of the reasons why I think there are ghost stories, which are to remind the living about the, to memorialize the dead, basically. So her ghost stories start in the 1940s, uh, less than a decade after she died, when the H in the Hollywood Land sign mysteriously blew over, and it was attributed to Peg's ghost. So as I have found while writing my books, people will start saying supernatural reasons for why mysterious things happen. It's also a great way of never forgetting tragic events. 
And uh, this seems to be the case with Peg's ghost. It's a way for people to remember how dastardly the studio system was back then. Runners and walkers using the Griffith trails around the sign to this day have run into the ghost of Peg. Uh, She is most commonly seen floating just inches off the path or gliding down the path as if there is no leg movement. Uh, A 1990 account of Peg's ghost described her as a disoriented blonde woman dressed in 1930s fashion who just vanished before two hikers' eyes and their dog. Their dog started freaking out and they're like, what's going on? And then they see who they think is the ghost of Peg with her blonde hair and everything. They were unaware of Entwistle's suicide 60 years prior. Unexplainable feelings of uneasiness are experienced by those on the path. Uh, Through the years, many Griffith Park rangers have admitted to witnessing Entwistle's ghost around the sign, especially on foggy nights. A couple was walking their dog. Oh, I think I just read this one because I I went through a lot of resources to do this. They were in the Beechwood Canyon Trail of the park and their dog began to behave strangely, whimpering and cowering behind them. Suddenly, a woman in out-of-date clothing appeared on the trail in front of them, appearing dazed and confused, and she vanished before their eyes. Uh, The story... There's also a story that recounts a group of trespassers who trespassed into the Hollywood sign itself. You're not actually allowed to go up there now. Um, they didn't find anything, but on their way back down, they one of the members slipped and fell partway down the hill as they began to make uh, hit their way back towards the others. They saw someone on the path walking towards them. It was a woman wearing a dress similar to that of the style of the 19th 30s, they reported she report or she wore heels and a veil over her face. She walked efforts effort. Wow, my diction today is great. She walked effortlessly up the hill. Her footsteps made no sound. It was only later that they read about Peg and Twistle. Also, the scent of gardenias is a common olfactory experience when Peg's ghost is about to appear on the path. It is said that it was her favorite perfume. And for those brave enough to look for her ghost of Peg, well, look for the ghost of Peg and Twizzle, the Griffith Park's paths are open to the public every day until 10.30 p.m. Wow. So she is making her presence known around, around the Griffith Park area, which is where Hollywood land apparently was supposed to be built. It was a um, like a subdivision or a suburb, but they eventually removed the land from the Hollywood land sign. And now it's just Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I mean, so many female, uh, I mean, so many actresses, I was going to say female actresses, but that's a little redundant. So many actresses. Um, and actually lately with the case with Britney Spears, they talk about how uh, they end up with, with caretakers. And, you know, if Britney Spears was a man, they said that they would never have like a relative managing her money. And mm-hmm. I feel like she's not using it right. And I mean, it seems like a lot of these, these women and, and she's not the, I mean, there's been a lot of cases of women in Hollywood that have been deemed as crazy or, you know. Well, and who is anyone to say how you can spend your millions of dollars. She earned that. Well, exactly. Earned that. Exactly. You know, <laughs> and, and making judgments on how they live, how they look in a way that no one else does. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and, probably at her age when she was that young she'd been through a lot she couldn't maybe see a way out i mean maybe she thought she was never going to work again and she was divorced so she probably thought no one was going to want to hire her for anything i mean it probably felt fairly bleak yeah she must I have mean, felt cornered i don't know just if from the uh accepted hmm? her still did she have any i mean they probably didn't even mention in the articles like was there so what i could get is that, that. her Charles and Jane were quite upset that she passed away as well as her stepbrothers um, or half brothers. Um, so, and she's lovingly in, she, she's buried with the rest of the family here mm-hmm. in Glendale. So they didn't ostracize her or anything for her choice. Um, it, it's, they had an interesting family life where she saw a lot of death and she her own parents divorced so that wasn't exactly unfamiliar territory for her Mm -hmm. and she saw um her dad at least 
get remarried. So life could go on after divorce. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, a lot of those thoughts, we just don't know what she was personally thinking. Now, there is a good book. If anybody wants to continue reading on on about this in a much more detailed manner, I mentioned it at the very beginning, uh, is Peg and Twistle, The Hollywood Signed Suicide by James Zurich Jr. It came out in 2014. It's available on Kindle. Um, Also, if you're really into film history, you must remember this podcast is very good. Hers is episode 93, Dead Blondes episode one and the host goes into great detail especially about uh each stage play and all that um stage history and performance history that we didn't necessarily go into because we wanted to save some time for ghost stories but Mm -hmm. because that's our thing but it's remarkable how much she did participate in cincinnati um Mm -hmm. and she was pretty well known that's why the Cincinnati Enquirer did so many articles about her because she was, mm-hmm. I guess, a Cincinnati darling in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, and just, just like you know, Nick Lachey is now and the Clooney family. Yes, uh, but it seems like women are sensationalized and given kind of short shrift when it comes like they're very complimentary when things are going well. But the second things go wrong, you get this sort of tabloid um, mentality. Yeah that uh, and i i don't think terrible. the inquiry definitely would not do that now no mm-hmm. it's a very different um, different yeah. newspaper now it just oh god it just, that when i saw just that picture and that's how i found the queens of queen city mm-hmm. website because it was on there i'm like oh my god that is such in bad taste i can't it believe i know i know it was in her letter and those are theoretically her words. But no. <laughs> Just yeah. no. Yeah. Now, now if if this had happened, there would have been a full page about her life and then mm-hmm. just celebrating her achievements and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is a much better way, in my opinion, of remembering yeah. someone. And not pointing out every single flaw and being overly critical about everything. But the internet does that. I mean, now you have- The internet does that. I mean, you see all those like clickbait articles and who knows where they go saying this, what does this person look like now? You know? um, Yeah. You know, one uh, actress uh, to to talk about dealing with all of this sort of pressure was Carrie Fisher, um, Mm -hmm. who dealt with mental illness for many years and- um, you know, her parents were spectacularly famous. I mean, you know, I guess the equivalent today of like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston were kind of like her parents, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then her, you know, father married Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, the biggest tabloid stuff in the world. And then, you know, Carrie Fisher, people criticized her for being normal and getting older and, you know, not looking like she was 20 <laughs> for the rest of her life you know yeah none of us are going to look like that i mean it was no um i mean fortunately she was smart and had a good sense of humor and stuff but she you know did suffer a lot from uh you know and and a lot of it was you know you could say brain chemistry too um but i mean i think she was really good about you know talking about that sort of thing in a way it wasn't yeah being open and honest about medications that you're on stuff Mm -hmm. like that i mean because make it more normal most of the time they just dismiss uh women like this is just they're just crazy they're unhinged you know uh you look at like sean young's history for example um yeah like for a long time in hollywood she is branded as being difficult Mm. and um well and to this day when people talk about sean young they're like Oh, she really went off the deep end, didn't she? she She's didn't. crazy. She didn't do anything crazy. And you know what? She, even if she did, she Who was cares? pushed. She mm. didn't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to be crazy today. She was pushed. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't know who Sean Young is. Um, she Sorry. was in the first Blade Runner. Um, I have not watched that. Okay, let's see. What, <laughs> something else that she was... <laughs> I think that the, the reputation was uh, when she wanted to play Catwoman in the mm-hmm. next Tim Burton movie. Um, and there was some unpleasantness that happened between her and 
uh, Tim Burton um, that she has cleared up since in articles and stuff like that. But there was all these. She rumors. was in Ace Ventura. Was she? Not watch yeah, that. She's been, She's been, a bit, but uh, you might recognize her. She is was in some, Oh, she was in the first Dune. I have not watched that. Okay. We need to have movie night. I know. We need to, we clearly need <laughs> That's to what a lot of night. people say. I uh, work a lot on comics. She... I almost live exclusively in comics. And yeah. um, I've discovered that I am really behind on a lot. I've never seen no. Gremlins. <gasps> I have not I mean, seen the oh. Goonies. Hold on a second. Um, oh, no, I'm killing Jen. I'm slowly killing Jen. Oh, she's hyperventilating she, she everyone. She was in Stripes, too. Uh, Troy just pointed out she was in Stripes, uh, which was a very funny She movie. was like an 80s it girl. Yeah, she, she was. Really, okay, so I'm reading on YouTube. Very talented. I, I'm, I like I'm reading on Wikipedia. She's in Stripes, Blade Runner, Dune, No Way Out, Wall Street, Cousins, Fatal Instinct, and Ace Futura Pet Detective. None of these movies I have ever watched. Oh, okay. Well, um, she was quite But I've seen Hocus Pocus like 13 times. <laughs> I've seen that a lot too. <laughs> I she was really very good. good in Stripes. I, I actually everything yeah. I've seen her in, I thought she was very good. I mean, I think yeah. her most, probably her most notable role is the Blade Runner role because she, and mm-hmm. they actually, she was in the new Blade Runner mm-hmm. uh, and did they digitally, they did something yeah, and because it was controversial, as I recall. Yeah, I well, don't. I don't think she gave her permission to be in it. Did she? Maybe that's there was something controversial about it. Oh yeah, because well, they own. Tell us. They own the her likeness in the movie, mm-hmm. but I don't think she personally was. I don't know. I, sorry, Sean Young. I don't know your business. I'll Here's shut some up now. fun <laughs> things, though. Fun things. She was born in Louisville, Kentucky. And she graduated from Cleveland Heights High School in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. So Another Ohio we can kind of slightly Yay! claim her mm-hmm. as a Buckeye for doing that. Does, so, it, does yes. it mention on the Wikipedia article the Batgirl or the Batwoman controversy? Um, it probably I'll have does to go down to film. But this is this is just Wikipedia. Because so. she allegedly dressed up as she as, did as, as, as Batman. Huh. As, as and allegedly she had the role but hurt her back is what she says but okay. that's not the story that was circulated yeah now let's see uh she was cast as vicky vale on tim burton's batman in 1989 but during rehearsal she broke her arm after falling off that's a horse was. and was hurt. replaced by kim basinger in an unsuccessful attempt to win the role of catwoman which was originally offered to annette benning but benning became pregnant michelle pfeiffer was cast in the sequel, Batman Returns in 1992, Young constructed a homemade Catwoman costume and attempted to contact Burton and actor Michael Keaton during production. She and uh, she appeared on the Joan Rivers show in character as Catwoman, campaigning for the role and make a plea to Tim Burton. So that is what you're see, talking about. I see nothing wrong with what she did. She was either. fighting for what she wanted. And I mean, we just did that, that with LeVar Burton and Jeopardy. So I know, and I'm still mad that he's not going to be hosting it. I'm I am very watch. disappointed. We were Same. very much pulling for him. Yeah. I liked so watching good. him. I hadn't watched yeah. Jeopardy in years, and we tuned in specifically to watch him host. That's a reason to go on Twitter and say, I'm never watching it again unless LeVar Burton's back. Hmm. You could yeah. have gotten a younger audience that loved reading Rainbow as kids, and now yep. they want to watch him on Jeopardy. It's a perfect mm-hmm. segue. He does have a foundation, though, that he won money for that I am forgetting right now. Let's see. Took it up and we'll cut it in the 80s. And then after that Batgirl incident, somebody really threw her in the mud for that one. So somebody yeah. got really mad about that. Yeah. And I don't understand why. But it was like they they made it like she was some crazy woman that showed up yeah. at Tim Burton's house, and I guess he really didn't want her to play the role because they really tarnished her for that one. Yeah. So like- so Lavar Burton's charity that he won money for for appearing on Jeopardy was reading his fundamental at r <clears throat> at r i f w e b on oh, Twitter. I remember reading so. his fundamental for being a yeah mm-hmm. yeah so. He and Dolly Parton do a lot for children's literacy. So that's what reading is fundamental. He would have been so awesome at Jeopardy. I mean, I, you know, I don't know who makes those decisions. And I think he would have gotten a bigger audience than the people doing it now are. 
I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest, the people that, I, I mean, the people that mostly watch Jeopardy now are going to die soon. Because they're old. Um, and I thought LeBart Burton would have been a good way to bring a lot of younger audience mm. that loved him. Well, you hear this first, folks, that the people who currently watch Jeopardy are going to die soon, according to Christina. Anyway, let's move on to our hometown haunt for tonight, <laughs> shall we? Yes, let's do. Thank Toby? you, Toby. Yeah. That's a cool name, too. I like the name. Okay. This is actually a generational ghost story. My grandmother's basement, specifically the oldest part of it, of it where it couldn't be renovated was and probably still is haunted. Now, I didn't learn this until late into my teen slash young adult years as my family was prepping the house for sale. No, my first experience came when I was only five years old. It was the summer of 1999 making me feel old Toby it was the summer of 1999 and I was visiting my grandma for the summer while my mom moved us across state lines with her work I was wary of the door in the kitchen didn't know why something was just wrong it stayed closed and I never got anywhere near the door as I got older and continued to visit grandma in the summers the door was open since me and my cousins were old enough to not just fall down the stairs (laughs) That's when I learned it was the basement. I still avoided that door, feeling fear, even just looking down. Even as a child, I knew this fear made no sense, though. My own home had a basement, and it didn't exude this feeling of dread and cause this unrelenting warning feeling. When I was in my early teens, I was made to descend those stairs, finally, tasked with something. I made it down, ignoring the tugging fear until I finally got to the bottom step with my cousin. There were areas of the basement that were, quote unquote, safe in feeling, but near the back of the dread and fear came from just at the top of the stairs was stronger than ever. I started, I ended up having a severe panic attack. Thank you. I ended up having a severe panic attack running back upstairs. Many years later, I was musing about this when my aunt asked who told me about Clitclee. Of course, I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. So she told me about the same unrelenting fear she got from the area, the area of the basement and of the spirits that she had experienced in her youth. Turns out most of the old town in Michigan that they grew up in was an old coal coal mining town that had a severe cave in. And the running theory is the spirits we've encountered may have died in said accident. Regardless, it rather solidified in our family that One, some family members are more sensitive than others to these things. And two, it wasn't just childhood fears that caused fear in that basement. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Toby, for sharing that. I want to know where I screwed it up. No, you're fine. I want to know where in Michigan you're at. I'm really curious now. Coal mining Michigan. Sorry, I have to look this up. Click Clee. Where, like, what's the significance of the name? Well, like, where I, did it come from? Yeah, it's interesting because it does seem to run in families. Yeah. Um, was your mom sensitive at all, Kat? Ah, no. Okay. But about <laughs> sensitive as a potato. And what about other relatives? That I know of, no one actually ever admitted to being sensitive. Now, I do know my grandmother and grandfather back in the early 1920s did participate using talking boards, but it was a hot thing to do back then. I mean, there's a Norman. even had a Ouija board. Yeah, there's a Norman Rockwell. um, Oh, man, what was a Saturday evening post? cover that he did of uh two people using a talking board <laughs> look for that. Oh. they have like co- copies of all the covers on the walls of the music norman rockwell museum there were hundreds of them so it's unless you knew what you were looking for it would be hard to take it in um, oh my there are a bunch of abandoned coal mines in michigan oh interesting <laughs> sorry i i, I i'm just super Because, you know, I grew up along the Indiana-Michigan border, and there it's all fish. It's like fish, 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 Lake Michigan fish, fish, boat, fish, Lake Michigan boat, boat, fish, like that. (laughs) And uh, 
learning about any other industry besides that is is kind of interesting. So, wow, there's a lot in let's see, Saginaw County, Seawassee County, Bay County, and Tuscola County all have, and some in Midland have all uh, all abandoned coal mines. So. Really, which would be if for those of you who know Michigan as a little mitten, it's along the bottom of the thumb, like right here. So there's been a lot of people that have sent in stories that are kind of of a similar flavor where there's a room mm-hmm. in the house that feels uh, that what's the description you call it, Kat? Like where you feel this tension, I guess is the right way, the fear, the tension. Uh, we call it oppressive like an oppressive feeling when you walk in, like you're being watched and whomever's watching you, it doesn't want you around. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like you, when you pass past the popular kids table at the cafeteria in high school and they all glare at you and you just kind of want to keep walking. Yeah. That mm-hmm. feeling um, that is definitely what that is. And un ungrounded uh, electric magnetic fields can cause that. Uh, so when I think I've explained this before uh, on the show, when you're with a paranormal group, a good one will do a casing of the house to make sure that there aren't any stray EMF fields going around. Because if you have a break in your casing, um, it will it stray EMF can make you feel paranoid, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of ghosts, and then also cause a lot of ghost phenomenon. Um, optically, but that's just your brain misfiring because you have this electromagnetic field influencing the electric magnetic field working within your brain. So that's a very layman's terms of it. I'm sure somebody could explain it better. Also but... smoking a lot of pot will make you paranoid. Well, I think okay. A... Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Did not know that, Jen. Like what we were talking about last week, how you might hear something and then it's on the radio wouldn't it be interesting if some people have some sort of structure to their brain that can pick that up i mean that's not actually a crazy idea it's an idea that has been thrown around throughout history um i actually have i'm not running down to get it a map of the human brain that was made around 1912 and it's Mm -hmm. on a little bust Mm-hmm. And there is a proper name for it. I can't remember it, what, what it's called right now. But And also, like, there used to be the fortune telling where they would feel all the bumps on your head. Yeah, so this, uh-huh. this little thought of maybe we're able to peek into some vibe or force with our brains and foresee the future and stuff, like what, what Kevin was talking about. That's not new. And, and there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, like rewires the brain. For example, uh, one of the big fears with COVID is I was just watching a thing on taste and smell this morning. And some people that have long-term COVID, like their brain rewires. And even mm-hmm. though they can smell and taste again, like it's totally different from what it used to be. And it's tortuous for them because things don't smell the way they're exposed to. They smell terrible. And they yes. taste different than they're supposed to. So their something has happened to how their brain takes in that stimuli that is broken. And they're trying to figure out how do you fix it? What has caused this rewiring? Yeah, I mean, it's trauma. one of the reasons. Yeah, uh, it's one of the reasons why we're very, very strict about masking in our house, because Alzheimer's and it is already a problem and runs in my family and a long-term COVID symptom is an Alzheimer's-like dementia, and it makes you more prone to it. And I'm like, no, thank you. I do not wish to have that. So I'm going to wear a mask everywhere. So, yeah, started yeah. Again. and there's and there's also yeah. cases not just outside just outside of COVID where like somebody will have a stroke or a seizure or something and come back with a British accent or a French accent. It, it's the brain rewiring and misfiring and firing in all directions or whatever's happening or suddenly feel like they need to murder their entire family. Yes. There are cases of people with head trauma. Um, I do remember a case. I can't remember the, the patient's name guy had a railroad spike go through his eye. Oh yeah. Get Phineas gauge. Yes. Yeah. And, um, 
I will also note for the video, I just saw a dust particle go by, and I guarantee you it was dust. It's not an orb. It's not the dead. Say it's an orb. It's my poor cleaning skills. Anyway, but yeah, Phineas Gage um, and his personality change after that happened because he survived the accident, but he did have a noted personality change. And it was one of those first cases where they're like, wow, massive head trauma. He still survived it, but boy, does he act like a different person. So yeah. why did I go up into a Wisconsin accent for that? I like it. Well, don't you <laughs> know? Who know? Don't you know? On that Would note. you like some hot dish with that, darling? <laughs> on that note, I think it's been a great show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to tonight's show. Uh, you can find us on social media at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And you can send us shows, topic suggestions, or your own ghost experiences, local urban legends, and creepy cryptids to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. Thank you and stay curious. Good night.